What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. Let us continue. Here's where we are <coughs> in our study of some of the essentials of the faith around the creed. Uh, we've begun, we're in the second article. So the first article of the creed is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then the second article of our creed is this entire long section on Jesus. And it is, let's see if this, I can get this to work here. But I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's what we did last week. And this week we move on to this next section. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Apostolic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <coughs> We're breaking these down to see what are the significance of each of these portions. Why did they put them in these passages or in this uh, creed? Why do we even have this and why does the church practice it? I, I've noticed that in a lot of the early church writings, uh, they don't sound a lot like the way we talk in church. They were very... Uh, they, 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 we think of these things as really basic things. Like, yeah, I know Jesus is the son of God. Why are we still talking about this? And it, and, and it seems as though there was a very heavy emphasis in the early church. They weren't, it's, it's like they weren't going off on these tangents uh, to talk about other matters. They were really pounding home these things to create in the mind, not artificially, but to create in the mind of the churchgoers that this is, as we mentioned last week, not simply an ideal that we hold to, a belief that we have about how we view the world, and just a general coating of paint over our perspective. We're trying to, the, the church was trying to, 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 to teach the people that this is the reality. This is the new tangible reality. I was talking to Liam this morning, <coughs> and I guess he was doing a little math and he said, Dad, you know, if I live into my 90s, I will, uh, I'll get to be, I'll get to live in the year 2100. Uh, and I said, yeah, that you, you may get that far. And I said, I won't get that far. I said, I know that much. Uh, and he's like, oh, okay. And then I said to him, I said, but I'll be back. And it was like a, a couple beats of silence. And he goes, oh, I get it. And I said, what do you get? And he said, because of the Lord. And <clears throat> I said it to him like that because sometimes we take the truths uh, that we find in Scripture and we hallmarkificate them. They're very floofy, cloudy generalizations that are like, yes, one day the resurrection. And the, the teachings of the creed are kind of like grounding us to be like, no, no. The, 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 just in the same way I actually read this past week. Um, St. Ignatius said, you know, just in the same way that if you looked at the components uh, of the human body, wherein eventually those things turn into human life, and you realize God has taken those two small, almost invisible and invisible to the human eye objects and creates life out of those things, he goes, it would not be very difficult for you to realize that, yes, truly, when your body decomposes and goes into the ground, God is going to take of those same materials and 
restore them to life and bring them back. And he's like, he said, the resurrection is not so far-fetched. The resurrection is not this crazy thing. And he said, we need to believe this. This is who we are and what we believe. And when we pattern ourselves after who God truly is, who man truly is, and what God is truly doing, that's when we uh, align ourselves more to him. So these are very, these are less simply elementary basic things. And this is why we say we call them the essentials um, uh, rather than just introductory or, or basic. But that's where we are. <clears throat> and so let's continue on our conversation about Jesus. Okay, so we're in the section here. Uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Um, <clears throat> let me get my Bible here because I wanted to read this passage here. Uh, Jesus, we say here, Jesus suffered for our sins. We see that throughout the, the New Testament, for our sins. And I want to talk about this, the significance of suffering today because we, we, we often say Jesus died for our sins and we, 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 we maybe have a tendency to make that just more transactional. You know, Jesus, Jesus died, uh, transaction, okay, God's good with us. All right, onward, here we go, onward with our life. But the scriptures tell us that he suffered for our sins. The cross, obviously, is a, one of the main themes of Paul's teaching. And what we see throughout the epistles in the New Testament here that the cross is a, a major teaching. So why is it that we say specifically that Jesus suffered for our sins or he died for our sins? Or even in the Christmas story, we say that Jesus will save us from our sins. Why do we say that? So let's focus on the suffering here for a minute. Isaiah chapter 52. I'll read this quickly to you. Isaiah 52, 13. Oh, I gave a long passage there. All right, 52, 13. Uh, oh, that's not that bad. Uh, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. You know that phrase, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. We know that's the cross. <clears throat> As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. So by the cross... This is the method by which he will sprinkle many nations. In the Old Testament, when we have the, the, the temples, you have the blood. It wasn't simply a transactional thing like animal dies. Okay, that's good. And God's not mad anymore because the goat's dead. It wasn't like that. The blood, which in the, in the blood was the life, <coughs> to them, it's the disinfectant of sin. So to put blood on something, maybe it was a, an article in the temple or, or, or whatever they would put the blood on. And you'll see this, if you read Leviticus, you'll be like, I don't understand. This dude just put blood on his right thumb and on his right big toe. And then he sp sprinkled it three times on. Everything had a meaning. But the idea was the blood actually purifies the thing that was dirty and sinful or out of sorts. So the blood purifies it. So by the cross, by his suffering, the scripture teaches us, so shall he sprinkle or put the blood on many nations, thereby purifying us so that we can once again have a restoration and, and a relationship with God. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. That, hopefully that day comes soon. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and a and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Uh, with his wounds, we are healed. So 
<clears throat> I want to talk about this, what we would call theories of atonement or, or forms of the atonement. What is it that happens at the cross? Why is it that Jesus suffers? And is it more than when we say things like, he's borne our griefs, is that just poetry? Like, oh, it was, thank you so much for dying for us because we deserve that penalty. Or is it more than that because he's bearing our griefs, he's carrying our sorrows, he's pierced, and then again, this phrase, for our transgression, for our iniquities. But what does that mean, for? He died for our sins. We have one of the, the, those ideas that it, we're pretty clear on, but I think that we leave off a few of them. So we're, we're going we're gonna to talk, talk about this because in chapter, in verse 6 here, it finishes with, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we have Jesus, he's at the cross, why does he have to suffer? Jesus suffers for our sins so we can have peace with God. I want to show you this little clip out of a book, and I'm not going to get into all of this, so don't worry about all of this. But I want to show you, <clears throat> when we say that Jesus atoned for our sins or, or covers our sins, the scripture tells us a few things. One, that our sins are covered. It says, two, that our sins have been lifted up off of our heads. It says, number three, that our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And it says, finally, that the, our sins have been buried in the depths of the sea. So our sins, in every dynamic way, you can see, have been taken away from us and covered. And so what do we mean when we say Jesus suffered on the cross? Well, there's a couple things I want to say. Um, the one that we are, that we are really uh, familiar with, and I'm going to walk over here, but the one that we're really familiar with is this bottom one here. It's the, 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 the theory of the penal substitution. And that means that you are guilty of your sin and therefore the wrath of God abides on your head. And when Christ dies on the cross and he suffers, he's suffering the, the, the penalty of the wrath of God that is on you. Um, so we have the penal substitutionary atonement. You're guilty, Christ, by having our iniquities laid on us, he suffers, thereby taking away wrath that humanity deserves. That's number one. But that's a portion of that. So one of the other ones that I want to reference to you here, and I'm not going to go through all of these, uh, but the other one that I want to reference here is <coughs> uh, this, this one that's in, well, it says victory. I don't know why I'm pointing at it. I just read it. Uh, but it says victory. And that is the theory of atonement that we call Christus Victor. And it's this idea that Satan, sin, and death are reigning over you. Paul says, uh, wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, so for all have sinned. And he goes on to, to say, wherefore, death reigned from Adam. He says, now grace reigns. So death is kind of reigning over you. It has a power over you. Hebrews teaches us that um, <clears throat> one of the things that Christ has to do in his cross is take away from us the fear of death, which is a power that is over us. So when we say that at the cross, Christ's suffering, actually his love, his obedience, and his death is the victory over the power that death has over human beings. So you remember in the Old Testament when the priests would go in and they would go in uh, and they could stay on the outer side. Uh, they, they could stay on the outer side all day, every day and go out there and they did all their different things, right? They would, they would sacrifice daily, the scripture tells us. They would go and sacrifice daily. And then once a year, they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would take the sacrifice and then they would have to start over and they did it every single year. <clears throat> well, that's because those priests were sinners themselves and so nothing they did was ever actually effectual. 
the, 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 throughout the Old Testament, even David says in Psalm 50, uh, speaking on behalf of God, he says, do you think that I really actually desire the blood of bulls and goats? No, they don't do, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't actually do anything because everything you're doing is just a shadow. And so these priests die and another priest has to come and do the same thing. And they just have to keep doing this cycle over and over again. So when Christ as our priest, he suffers on the cross for us. He then goes into the, the, the heavenly holy of holies, the true one, the temple of God. And he offers this sacrifice and his, his again, his love, his sacrifice, his obedience to the father. Um, all of that is the true uh, the, the, the true uh, mercy of God in, per, uh, in the person of Christ that conquers the power that sin and death has over us. And because Christ has died with our sins on him, uh, death no longer has any power. So the, 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 the victory view of atonement is that at the death of Christ, cosmically, he destroys all the power that Satan has. It's, it's a cosmic battle where sin and death they no longer have any reign, which is why Jesus says after his resurrection, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Now, it appears as though the prince and the power of the air still roams about, but he's already, he's, he's already been uh, sentenced to death. He's already been condemned. It's already over, which is why, is it Colossians that tells us that uh, it, it, in a similar parade like Caesar would do, Jesus has marched through the city, a victorious, triumphant king, and all of the powers are in chains behind him, and he's leading them on a parade, mocking them. That's what Caesar would do. He would go into an area, he would win the battle, and he'd take their king, he'd take their leader, he'd put him in chains, and then he would march through their cities with their leader in chains being like, hey, look, I'm Caesar. I'm making an announcement. That's where we get the word evangelion. It's this announcement of the good news. And so Jesus gives us the true evangelion, the gospel, and he gives us this news, and Jesus is marching through the towns of earth saying, I've already conquered Satan and defeated him. So when he suffers on the cross, he's destroying the power of sin and death. And that's that, that victory model. <clears throat> that other one that's right above it, though, ransom. You've seen that in, in the scriptures where it says that Jesus died a ransom for many. So the ransom view is, well, it, it's not like Jesus pays off Satan. That's not, the, that's not the deal. But the ransom view is that death has a claim, right? So death has a claim over us because we have sinned and because we've sinned, everybody's condemned to die. Like, it's not just a spiritual thing. The reason we die is because we have capitulated to sin, and our sin is not only a spiritual death, but naturally our bodies are decomposing and dying and going into the grave, which wasn't the way that God created the, the world. He didn't create us to die. He created us to live with him and walk with him in the cool of the day, as he did with Adam and Eve. And so the ransom view is that Jesus was the payment, the perfect, sinless son of God, suffers as a ransom to death's claim and satisfies death, which is why you have that by death, he killed death. Uh, oh, grave, where is thy victory? He swallows up death. And then by swallowing up death, this ransom on you has been paid. So there's no more claim. The law has no more claim on you. The point of the Old Testament law is that it's to tell us what is good and right and true and holy about God. And it does that. The problem with that Old Testament law is that if it worked, you wouldn't see the rebellion of the people of Israel. It doesn't work because it doesn't accompany with it, Hebrews tells us, faith. And so they would hear the law and they would go, that's a good law. And then immediately while the law was still, I mean, like the ink is drying on the law, they were like, hey, let's make a golden calf and apparently take off all our clothes and dance. Like that was like, and that's what, 
That's what the, they did. And I'm not like, I'm not just mocking them, although it's fun, but like we do it, right? That's what we do. And so the law is, has this, the law tells us the truth about God, but then the law by, by its nature has to condemn us because we don't obey the law of God. And so <clears throat> the gospel comes along and Jesus pays the ransom. The law no longer has any claim on you because Jesus pays the ransom. So my kids, they'll be doing something. And, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, yesterday, trying to get into the car and Hayden's putting uh, Al, the dog, into the car. And Al doesn't like getting in the car sometimes. And so he bucks like a Bronco. And he bucked up and pulled his, himself completely out of his harness. I mean, it's a full body harness. And he pulled himself out like a rat and uh, started running uh, around about 15 feet away from Route 83 at a blind spot where there's, the, you know, everything's just flying down Route 83. So I come outside and I see this. Uh, and immediately my mind's like, well, I was about to die. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to explain this to everybody. <clears throat> so I, I go to him. Conrad Hayden block him off. We get it. And I, I, at that moment, I see Hayden's face like, if dad was ever going to kill me, it's this moment. I can right. see it in his face, right? right. Uh, and I, I, I immediately said, at the, I said to him, I was like, I hate when he does this. He doesn't want to get in the car, and it's not safe for him. This is, I can't stand that he does it. And right at that moment, Hayden realized that I was not condemning him any longer, but I was condemning Al's action. And we turn, and we go to the car, and Liam says... Oh, Hayden, dad's going to kill you. <laughs> Hayden made a condemnation and he was accurate. But what he didn't recognize is that I had prior already ended the condemnation. So the claims that Liam was making no longer had any claims because Hayden had already bypassed it. Now, before I came in, Liam's claim was a scary claim because I, <laughs> I have a tendency to want to be like, what did you do? Right. That's my right. God's not like that, but I am. And so this is the same thing. The law, which is good, and Paul tells us this all the time, the law is not bad. We, we, we're not, the phrase is antinomian. We're not, we don't hate the law. We don't think, oh, we, the law, let's do whatever we want. Not at all. The law continues to be glorious. The problem is that the law does not have the Holy Spirit, which also changes our hearts. So Christ comes in with the gospel. He suffers the condemnation that the law has on the human race. This is why it's so important that Christ is a human. He's not just a spirit that's teaching us good things. He has to be a human to be the representative of us. He has to cleanse humanity truly. The law says humanity has rejected God, and so humanity has to suffer and die. And when Christ suffers and dies, he pays off the claims of the law. And Paul says, in his body, in the cross... All of the claims of the law are nailed to that cross. So there then is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because he has paid the ransom for that. You follow? Okay. Nobody said yes, but I just said okay like you did. All right. I'm not going to go through all of these, but we had primarily the ones that we, we discuss are penal substitution, Christus Victor, Ransom, and then there's some other ones too where, where um, we see that like the moral influence and the exemplary, Jesus on the cross in his suffering reveals to all of humanity what true good is, what true love is. And then Paul, this is what 1 Corinthians is really all about, where they're starting to divide themselves up amongst themselves, right? I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos. Also, just as an aside, I love the fact that, that the, the Lord Jesus looks at Peter and gives him a new name. And Paul, I know he didn't do this, 
Paul, almost kind of like a jab, refers to Peter by his old name. Like if, you, if Jesus gave you a new name, right? And you're like, I'm Peter. And you picked up one of Paul's letters and you're like, this jerk called me Cephas. I thought about that this week as I was reading, uh, reading First Corinthians. Now I know Paul didn't do that out of spite, but I, I like that Paul every once in a while does that because <laughs> Peter then, Peter, I don't know the order of those two books, but Peter responds to the writings of Paul and he, and he says in, 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 in one of the Peters, he says, we do know that the words of Brother Paul are, are, are kind of hard to understand because that is, that is Paul. Um, but anyway, what was he talking about? Oh, Corinthians. So they're dividing themselves amongst themselves and they're like, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And, and Paul says, what you have to understand about who we are as Christians is that our pattern is foolishness. Our pattern is cross. Our pattern is crucifixion. Our pattern is death. Our pattern is not might. He says, you know that I came to you not out of might or even that I was a good speaker. He says, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit always follows the pattern of crucifixion, self-crucifixion, us as a corporately crucifying ourselves for one another. This is the pattern that we have. And so Christ's uh, <clears throat> death on the cross also is uh, 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 an exemplary dying. But when Jesus suffers, it's, it, they, it was important for them to recognize that when Jesus suffered, it was a real suffering. It wasn't just a spiritual suffering. It wasn't just to teach us something good, but that it was he actually suffered bearing both the guilt and the consequence and the shame, the wrath of God, of all of our sin in his suffering, which was necessary because it had to play out. See, the problem was not God's in salvation, right? It wasn't that God is so in heaven, so furious that he just wants to burn us all up, that Jesus dies on the cross as like the good guy out of the Trinity, and it's like, okay, Father, I let them totally beat me and abuse me. I mean, now could you not be mad at these people anymore? It's not like that. It's that the Father and the Son and the Spirit together in the wisdom of God, the counsel of God from the beginning. It says Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth. Scripture tells us that God as a trinity does this because the problem's not on his end. The problem's on our end. So Christ becomes man for our sakes. Christ becomes man because sin has this claim on us. Death has this claim on us. The forgiveness was not the problem. God's like, y'all yeah, forgive your sins. Now what we have to do is now we have to accomplish destroying the power that the sin has over you and then moving on in our lives to continually uh, allow him to do that. So that's what we mean when we say he suffered under Pontius Pilate, the suffered part. <clears throat> the incarnate son shared physically, emotionally, and spiritually in the temptations and the sufferings that were common to all his people, yet he was without sin. I just saw this the other day. Actually, I think it was in this, this book here. Uh, he was referencing that um, the temptation to, for Jesus to sin uh, was worse than your temptation to sin because you and I always give up at like temptations stage two. And Jesus endured stage one. Hey, you should do this. And he endured stage two. No, really, you should do this. And he endured stage three, which is, this would feel good if you did this. And he endured stage four and five and six. And, and Jesus endured temptation so long that it says and Satan left him. He was like, well, this isn't working. Satan rarely leaves us because he was like, well, I got them. Got it. They, they stumbled after step number two. So Jesus endures not only the, the, the cross, but the temptation that you and I endure from this world system, from Satan, from sin, and yet never having crossed the line, never having ever strayed away from the will of God. And so remember that Jesus' suffering wasn't only on the cross. He suffers from day one. He suffers from day one uh, as he suffers from uh, the temptation to sin. Yet he is without sin in his agony and desolation on the cross. He uniquely suffered for sins 
and revealed God's love and compassion for humanity. God's love and compassion. What Jesus does on the cross is what the Father was trying to say. Remember that. Don't divide the Son and the Father and the Spirit. They together are trying to say something that Jesus says on the cross. And Jesus has experienced our sufferings. He understands our sorrow and is able to sympathize with our weakness. This one for me is honestly one of the hardest concepts. My mind doesn't grasp it. Because every time I come to this idea that Jesus has suffered and therefore he's able to help you, it always makes me go, yeah, but how? Right? I'm just literally suffering. And I don't think this is a, in my opinion, this one I don't, I just, I can't teach it very well. Because it's, it's not until Christ in his person comes alongside us in our, our prayers, in our walk with God, that we realize his true closeness to us, that we realize uh, his desire. And his, he is not distant from us, but he is near to us. Reading through the Psalms, um, it's constantly, it's constantly, and they suffered, whether it's for their sins or someone else's sins, they suffered. And it says, and they cried out and God heard them. And they cried out and God rescued them that he is always there and near to us. Uh, and that this portion right here is, is experiential, and I, I don't think I have the, the articulation to, to properly teach it, but uh, it, it's there. Go ahead. I, I, I got a little bit lost when you said Christ has suffered from the beginning. What? Oh, I meant from the beginning of his life. His, 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 his existence here. Because he was human. Yeah, I mean, on day one, they wanted to kill all the babies, right? So his entire life has killed the babies. He's fleeing to Egypt. He's suffering. Um, uh, it, sometimes, I mean, Jesus suffered in the fact that there's, there's a passage uh, where there's a phrase that, depending on how you kind of parse out the verse, it appears as though um, the, the people who are arguing about, against Jesus' authority actually make kind of a dig at Mary where we know who he is. We know who his mother and who his father was. And there's kind of this, this slight dig that like, didn't your mom get pregnant because of uh, some kind of immorality? And then Joseph kind of rescued her from that. Like that's Jesus' entire life. Like the, from, from start to finish. So when we say he suffered, just remember the thing that you suffer is also somewhere along the line, Jesus faced that thing. Somewhere along the line, he faced that temptation or that pain uh, or that emptiness or that loneliness. If you read the Psalms, all of the lonelinesses and pains and suffering and desolation that you read there, somewhere in that passage, you'll find just a a little tinge that reminds you of the New Testament. You'd be like, oh, this is actually the story of Christ, that he continued to suffer for us. Um, Is that more clear than what I said the first time? Okay, good. I do say things very unclearly sometimes, and I just roll right through it. So the creed thus makes clear that Jesus' life and death were real events that occurred at a particular place in Judea and first century AD. They, it's very specific here that they say under Pontius Pilate. So <clears throat> but before we had like the way we talk about time today uh, and, and uh, the calendar, they would, they would phrase things based on uh, who was in charge at the time. So they would say, and you know this in the Bible, you remember Isaiah? In, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was marking time by that's the year that the king died. And so you and I could say things like September 11th. Okay, I know a marker of what happened on that day. So they would say in the third year of, of the reign of Tiberius, 
and the governor so-and-so upon the fourth month after the transition of the such-and-such to the such-and-such. I was reading the coolest thing the other day. So it was, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was written like at 140 AD. And it was so snarky because the guy said, it was, it was like, it was a long paragraph. And he goes, in the fourth year of the reign of so-and-so, uh, prelate of such and such with the governor being so-and-so and the blah, 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 being blah. I don't even know the words they're saying. And he's like, and the 15th year after the taxation of such and such with so-and-so being governor. And then he said, comma, but Jesus Christ always being king. And then he goes on and tells the story. And it's important. That was important to say Pontius Pilate was the governor in the area because this is a real event that happened a real point in time and Jesus really died and he really rose from the grave and you and I are not following after some, some, un, uh, some cloudy, foggy belief that a God up there somewhere. No, Jesus Christ is truly our king. Okay, now go do that. Go live that way. And so it is important for them to say he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Because there were a lot of theories going around. The reason that some of these things came out is because people started throwing out all these theories that Jesus was an amalgamation of just the experience of Israel itself, right? That they were a suffering servant and that they had suffered so many things and, and, and they were bringing the truth of the law to the world. But it wasn't actually Jesus. And they were like, no, 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 no. It was actually Jesus. Uh, and so it's important that, that, he, that that's in there, suffering under Pontius Pilate, the, the reality of what actually happened at that time. And I, my thing doesn't say the time. What are we, what time is it? 9.43. Oh, really? Man, you guys talk so much that I can't even understand. We'll get into uh, crucified, died, and was buried uh, next week, I guess. And we'll, we'll go on. We've got till Easter for this. Um, 